You are listening to Second Acts. I'm your host, Linwood Lawton. 2019 is in the rearview mirror, and the engine tram to 2020 is coming up. Today we are going to review Adam Sandler's latest film, Uncut Gems, and get our reviewers' top five for the films of 2019. Our reviewer, of course, is Parker Enix Ross. Happy New Year, Parker. Happy New Year, Linwood. How, uh, how have the holidays been treating you so far? The holidays have been good. A little understated, um, you know, time with family. It's been good, and it's a good time now to kind of catch up on things I may have missed earlier in the year, things that are streaming, uh, movies in that regard, TV shows. Obviously, a lot of TV shows I missed. Uh, so it's been a time of relaxation, but also just consuming as much media as uh, I can get away with. Now, tell me something. What was the last thing you watched before you came into the studio today? What was the, the, the last uh, program or film or anything that you just, the absolute last thing you just watched? The last movie I watched was Uncut Gems. I saw that uh, as we record on Monday. I saw that Saturday. So about two days ago. Okay. So, but um, that, that you had to have seen something since then. What was the last thing you saw? Last thing I saw, what? I've been streaming The Expanse on on Amazon Prime. It's a fantastic science fiction show. If audiences are remember a show Firefly from the early two thousands, it's very reminiscent of that. Very hard sci fi. Not so much Star Trek with the kind of far flung optimistic future. This is a very gritty. Uh, future almost similar, very similar to what the current political climate now. Does it take place in, in like now? Does it take place? In no, it, it takes place uh, a few hundred years in the future, about a hundred years in the future. Uh, Mars has been colonized and Earth and Mars are kind of at this cold war and things escalate. There's uh, a new kind of bioweapon that people are trying to get their hands on. It's a uh, very, very exciting, very a brilliantly paced show, very well written. Why does it not surprise me that the minute Mars gets colonized, some kind of conflict, it's, you know, it's, happens? It's basically, it's because it's still close enough to Earth's history that these kind of tensions, these escalating things kind of develop. Now, I tell you what I saw uh, over the holidays was the Irishman and uh, just just to briefly discuss that because we had discussed it in a previous podcast I really enjoyed it I thought it was it wasn't brilliant as maybe not there were aspects of it that were brilliant the the, the set pieces the costuming the cars the cars uh, played a very integral role in the film Um but the 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 way that it was staged, it was just really really well done. And watching uh, Scorsese, of course, who directed it, and De Niro, uh, Harvey Keitel, uh, Pacino, Al Pacino, and um, uh, uh, Joe Pesci, watching them at the top of their game. First, it looked like when I was watching it that they were enjoying it. You know, yes. that they really, you know, they were rolling. Through the and the film was just really really good. I I didn't mind the time. Yes, it is long, um, but I think it needed that time to tell the proper story. There's like two or three different stories going on at the same time. Right, and it's it's kind of a 
almost in a way it's like a swang song to these actors and Scorsese and I uh, Scorsese hasn't said anything to the effect of this is going to be my last movie but if it was it kind of would have to be these actors and this kind of story and something that just goes on this long to kind of bring it full circle and kind of encapsulate what who Scorsese is as a director I I find I also thought that um the story itself about uh the mob's relationship well part one of the stories is about the mob's relationship with uh Jimmy Hoffa and the Irishman's role in in that uh in that conflict between Hoffa and the mob the story as we had mentioned before or the film is based on a book called I Heard You Paint Houses. Right. And it is a story. It's uh, Scorsese tells a story, whether it's the definitive story of what happened to Hoffa, whether it's none of what Sharon said happened and he made the whole thing up, which I find hard to believe. But um, there are some critics that say that. that I read an article the other day that said that, uh, you know, Sharon was a was a, a pathological liar nothing he could nothing he said could be could yes be really I, i've seen in kind of the wake of it coming out mm-hmm. uh, various sources will say well sheeran wasn't there at the time or he wasn't as important as he claimed he was in the mafia ranks or it didn't happen exactly you know like x y and z i kind of take the approach uh, similar to the man who shot Liberty Valance, when the legend becomes fact, print the legend. It's just a good story. It's the I don't think anyone's gonna get a hundred percent of the details as to like whatever happened to Jimmy Hoffa, right? But I think kind of the 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 story and the characters and the message the movie delivers in terms of um, kind of what leading this lifestyle leads and the consequences of it. And almost in a way making it like a 180 from Goodfellas, where at the end of Goodfellas, you still think uh, being a mobster minus possibly getting killed still seemed like a lot of fun. At the end of The Irishman, it's like this is a miserable life and everyone's gone and it's just sad and alone. And kind of even in the, the, the film doesn't have the same energy and it's just slower and it it's kind of when you compare the two and you look at the styles it really is a kind of a testament to Scorsese's filmmaking that you expect so many things so many tropes to appear because you're so familiar with his other work and then none of them kind of pan out and it just it was just very good it's just a very good movie right and I, I also um and I didn't see too many or in fact any comments on this there's one character in the film that I think was was should have gotten more credit for her uh, her performance. It was the uh, older daughter Anna Paquin playing. Oh, that was Anna Paquin. That's okay, Anna Paquin. I was trying to, yeah, I was searching for. And her there name. there had been some um, kind of critical discussion. I don't want, even want to call it criticism because I think the criticism tries to make it criticism just has so much more of a negative connotation i think people were were commenting on the fact that she has kind of a reduced role and for an actress of anna paquin's caliber anna paquin's not a no-name actress she's you know had hbo shows and been in franchise movies that she doesn't have as prominent a role 
And people were commenting that, you know, given how long the movie is, there could have been more time devoted to that character, and that would have narratively worked. And the kind of rebuttal was, it's not necessarily Anna Paquin's story. Right. Uh, And I think as more voices get added to filmmaking, I think uh, a lot of... And this could be, you know, you go back and forth. But I think maybe in the hands of a female director, that story would get told. Right. And I mean, people... you could tell, you, you, you could see how you could make, and without giving away, without um, without giving away spoilers, you know, I'll try very hard not to. You could make that film from her point of view. Yes. If you and I think to. people were just commenting on that. And I think that's a good debate and discussion to have in the industry just to have more voices a more diverse writing pool and i don't think it's an invalid criticism i i think in this case the irishman is not the worst example of a female character kind of being stiffed in a movie there are much worse examples much more prominent examples uh just to touch on it briefly in rise of skywalker a character who was in the previous Star Wars movie is in this movie for 76 seconds and it's very clear her role was more prominent and reduced and kind of cut and scrapped so I don't think it's that bad but I do think going into this next decade as more female directors get uh, bigger roles bigger scripts and budgets and things like that the kind of stories we're used to seeing might get you know, they might get switched up, more prominent expansion. We might see more movies like Hustlers, which is effectively a heist movie, but from the cast, from the point of view of a more disenfranchised group. And I, right. I think it will be a net positive to kind of get more diverse stories of that caliber. Well, with Anna Paquin, when every time she's on screen, she has very few lines. And she she expresses things through her facial expressions through right. her and and that was another kind of point the kind of defenders of the Irishman were saying is that acting is more than just the lines you deliver right. the monologues exactly it's, it's facial expressions it's a whole it's body language physical it's a, right, right. physical kind of element so you know I I wouldn't say I think both sides have a point mm-hmm. and I think bringing that up. In regards to the Irishman, is fine. I think you know just having that discussion. Right. But there is also something to be said for not for nothing. Anna Paquin was in a Scorsese movie. That's not nothing. She has <laughs> she's an important character in a Scorsese Extremely movie. Extremely important character. So yeah. you know it's not she she's not starving. Right. She'll be she'll be <laughs> she'll okay. She'll be okay. When when people see the film, um, if they haven't seen it yet, it's still on. Um, it's in theaters, I believe, in limited release, and it's also on Netflix. But when people see it, I think that they'll understand exactly what you said. It, it's not nothing, but it is. Um, when people say that we need to have discussions about these things, you uh, expressed exactly how that can happen, you know, without, you know, recriminations and, and yelling at Scorsese for, you know, yeah. or getting on Scorsese's case. He made a film and, and people can be uh, observant of it or critical of it without being 
um, dismissive of it. Let's just put it Correct. that way. But it was it was it was really good. All right, yes. enough for the uh, enough for the Irishman's highly recommended. I highly recommend you see it. I'm glad I got a chance to see it. Now, next up, I understand you saw Uncut Gems, and Uncut Gems is getting some buzz. It's Adam, excuse me, Adam Sandler's uh, latest effort, and it's uh, not a typical Sandler film. Is that fair to say? Uh, very fair. Uh, and disclaimer now, because this is apparently becoming a problem. If you are going to this movie thinking it is a standard Adam Sandler comedy and you are going to take your children, don't read the poster. It has a big rated R on it and it it earned that rated R. It earns it about 20 minutes into the movie. You're not. Um, and I, I don't know how many times we can keep telling people this. Movies get ratings for a reason. And it's kind of on an, you as an audience member to just check, check it. But it is uh, a so it's again at a twenty four, which, as audiences will know, is kind of now be rapidly becoming my new favorite production company. They do independent works. They did uh, the farewell, the lighthouse, and now this. It's the Softy Brothers who audiences, if audiences uh, watched Good Times in twenty seventeen, they they are the pair that directed that. This was my first. Uh, film of theirs that I have seen, so I can't vouch for the quality of Good Times. But this was two hours of the worst anxiety I've had watching a movie, simply because Adam Sandler plays a character, Howie Ratner, who is a jeweler in New York City with like the worst gambling problem. And he, so Kevin Garnett comes into a store, Kevin Garnett playing himself, very good for a man who I imagine has no kind of prior acting training. And um, how he lands this big, uh, rare jewel is like this obsidian rock, a space opal, and it has all these colors, and Kevin Garnett is entranced with it. So Kevin Garnett has to have this opal, how he sees a con coming, he says, all right, give me your championship ring. As collateral, you can take it to a game for because this is during the 2012 during the playoffs. So Kevin Garnett's in town. Uh, they're going to play the Sixers. Right. I just remember that. And so Kevin Garnett's convinced this Opal's going to give him you know good luck. And so Howie then immediately takes the ring, pawns the ring to try to get money to just pay debts. Just he's just running around paying debts and he just keeps gambling and betting and trying to shift money and ruining everybody's life and it is I I called him coming out like the the best villain I'd seen in a movie all year uh -huh. just because it's I understand the human compulsion and the kind of the addiction but you can see in his own mind he's like I should stop but and you just <laughs> You, you want to strangle him because, and the, the film matches this energy with kind of the camera work it has. It's a lot of up-close personal shots, a lot of close wides and a kind of freehand camera. So, and you know, how, as how he's walking out of buildings, the camera kind of shakes and follows and weaves with him. And it's a very... Very much of a point of view. Yeah, or, or it's no. it's your it's not from in a direct point of view, but it is very up close and intimate and kind of 
personal. They don't do a lot of uh, landscapes or faraway shots. So it creates this kind of claustrophobic atmosphere and you're just trapped with this man. And they also, uh, the Safety brothers had this shot on 35 millimeters. So it has a kind of grit to these shots and there's a, a, a grain texture and that's kind of captured and the it also affects kind of the color so the colors have this uh almost 80s uh psychedelic vibe and it kind of all of this kind of works in tandem and there's another element i really want to touch on because it it often goes underrated in movies but the sound mixing in this uh, both in terms of the score and just the regular dialogue mixing is incredible because a lot of the scenes are characters arguing with each other and it's so hard to edit and mix and get the kind of anger intensity and all the emotions involved in this argument but have them both be clear and you can hear what characters are saying and you can and it syncs up so perfectly and it's just this two-hour chaotic destruction and it and it moves quickly and it's not it doesn't drag on, but you're just watching this and just every time he makes a decision, you just you're watching it through your fingers like you gotta you just gotta you could have stopped five different times. Let me ask you this though. Do you is this film in the same vein as Rounders or the seventy four and two thousand fourteen remake of The Gambler? Um is is it that type of film? Yes, I I think uh, it's definitely because it, it's classified as like a crime drama, but is very it isn't so much a character study of addiction because there's no um, for lack of a better term come to Jesus moment, but you do get a good portrayal of a character, right. and it's it's very heavily driven by Sandler's performance, but they're uh, again, uh, Lakeith Stanfield's in it, uh, who's having a great year between this and Knives Out and um, coming off of Sorry to Bother You. So it was good to see him as kind of the middleman between uh, Sadler and Kevin Garnett. Idina mm-hmm. uh, Menzel of Frozen fame is in it, playing Adam Sandler's wife, and she's fed all the way up. <laughs> yes, she's, I can imagine. She's been done. Now, also... Um and I'm going to get back to some of the other cast members, but also there's I've I've seen either the trailers or just still photographs where Adam Sandler has this piece of toilet paper in his nose. Oh yeah, because uh, they send guys to mess him up. Okay, they, but what I thought was interesting, the only reason I brought it up, but I thought that was interesting, was it appeared that I haven't seen the film, so I'm just assuming that he has that on his in his nose for a while similar to Jack Nicholson's no uh, this is that's after a very specific okay. scene all right so i was uh, just it just yeah it just occurred and to it me is, that i thought that was and right. adam sadler does such a good job of going between this cocky on top of the world i've got all the money to just pathetic it's it is a level of pathetic that i have not seen a lot in various films. I think the the best example was um, John Turturro in Miller's Crossing, where he's just sniveling and sad, and you you don't want to feel bad because this is exactly a you put yourself here, but at the same time you're like I look at you, just look at you, and then the, and then 
you know, he has his scenes, he's down, like, the lowest you can possibly go, and gets back up, and he's like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, I got some more money, and we'll just, we'll, we'll move it. And it's, it really is um, an incredible performance, and it's one of those things I wish Sadler would do dramatic roles more because he clearly has a talent for it. He now, has, yeah, it's I'm not his to, first one. I'm trying to think of, well, let me say this. I had I was pretty much done with Adam Sandler because of there were a couple of his later films. His Rightfully comedies. so. All his comedies basically after Waterboy are real. They, they, like the 2000s, especially the latter half of the 2010s and well he had decade. one that where he he was using native americans in the film i think it was native americans the ridiculous six yeah that yeah. may have been it and it was just really you it's know just, and first of all i'm surprised that people even give him money for those types of films and he I guess still has to have a big enough name value right that they know that he they could can, probably yeah. get finance and the movies probably unfortunately make a lot of money right so i imagine they're not doing hugely expensive to shoot yeah J- jack and jill i mean yeah that was terrible and he was first of all it wasn't funny and yeah I, they, they weren't he was the biggest name in the film right so, so that you know that that probably uh, but i'm glad know. he's doing I'm, I'm glad in this one that that you like it and you recommend it i'm assuming yeah, you recommend this i do one. uh it i i would not honestly depending on the kind of the pool for Academy nominations. It would not be outrageous to me. And I don't know how many they can actors they can nominate for a best actor role. I think if it's the same number as movies, they can nominate 10. And right now on a short list, he could get, he very well could stumble into a best picture nomination just for his kind of performance and the, the, how far of a departure, if you're familiar right. with his comedy, right? He, it, I would not be surprised because, and in, 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 <laughs> here's the funny thing about him in the beginning of his career on the Saturday Night Live uh, uh, phase of his career, I did enjoy his comedy. He wasn't the funniest person in the world, but he, he was amusing and he, and he was kind of funny. He was funny in Waterboy. Um, but then things just, I don't know, just, just maybe it was me. You know, I got older and he got less funny to me. So, but in any case, that's a recommendation for you, Uncut that's, Gems. That's highly recommended. And uh, if you're trying to see it, good luck. I went through at least four different separate screenings trying to get seats for it. And they were almost all to, to a screening sold out. Well, good for Adam. Very good for Adam. All right, Parker, we're at the end of the year, and of course, uh, this is the end of the second decade of the 21st century, and it's obviously, it's a podcast obligation to do a best of. Yes, everybody in their mom on film Twitter has a top five, ten, best of the decade, which we'll, we'll save for another episode. Uh, I personally did five. Uh, right. These were movies I saw in theaters this year you're, this you're, year you're, you're gonna do a top five of this year and then you'll come back and we'll do i'll your, do my best of your the best decade. of this so you know your that would be a top 10 we'll devote an entire show to that yes okay so this is your top five for 2019 yes so we'll start at number five i had knives out knives out is generally just good it's good all the way through everyone in it is either good or great it is a great contemporary 
adaptation of, uh, well, not adaptation, uh, a contemporary reimagining of an Agatha Christie story. You could have, she could have written this and you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Uh, Daniel Craig is very good as kind of the lead detective. Lakeith Stanfield, as I said earlier, is good as kind of his, almost his Watson in that role. And the kind of contemporary social elements it touches on make it feel refreshing in a modern sense because these are issues and topics we can relate to. And I think for a film to be able to do that and yet still retain kind of the charm of what it was trying to do is just one of the best shot edited movies I've seen all year. There's a great shot at the end after all it's said and done that's just stayed with me even now you know however many weeks later so i highly recommend if audiences haven't seen knives out definitely consider that that's your number five that's number five okay what's number four four is uncut gems it really kind of shot up there i had some stuff bouncing around uh tentatively when i first drafted this list the report was at five and knives out was four uncut gems blew past the report knives out and it's cemented there just because the performance of Adam Sandler was so good. Okay. I really stressing people should, you know, they're up for it. If they read the synopsis and decide that's a thing they want to do, they should consider that. All right. What's the number three? Once Upon a Three is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is really uh, just Tarantino doing a very good story, mostly subdued from his other work. So if people have been kind of turned off by Tarantino due to the the over the top nature of his films, I'm talking, you know, things like Inglorious Bastards, Kill Bill, Django. It's more subdued than that. It is not completely devoid of violence, so people mm-hmm. should know. But it's kind of this charming how we kind of wish that era in Hollywood was and how it ended rather than, you know, kind of the truth of it. And it just has a really nice relationship between Brad Pitt's character and Leonardo DiCaprio. They're in like the twilight of their careers and they're just two good friends trying to weather this change. And I think Tarantino's love for that era of Hollywood really shines Mm -hmm. with how he directed it in the story and the references to old westerns and bruce lee and all these other bits and it was just a very good movie uh and very enjoyable in that respect all right how about number two number two is the irishman uh because it's just very good i've seen it three times because it's on netflix and i've been able to and every time there's another layer whether it's the the cars and like this little thing or these little tricks are just the nuances of characters. It is just uh, uh, you. Every film cliche you could throw out is a masterpiece, a visionary. Scorsese is just good. He he's just one of, if not the best director of his generation. There's not a whole lot of um, not a lot of competition. Yeah, there's there's not a whole lot you can say other than yeah. It's just. Scorsese made a great movie. Go, you know, you know what, what more do you want? All right. And um, if I had a drum, we'd do a drum roll. And if this was a commercial radio, we'd break for a, uh, a spot from our sponsor. But since we have neither of those, what is 
your number one film of 2019? Number one is The Farewell. I saw it July and it stuck with me. It is a beautiful story about family and kind of heartbreak. It it was very reminiscent of relationships I've had with elder relatives. It's beautifully shot, beautifully directed. One nominated for a Golden Globe, but I won't get into that. It's just the best movie I've seen this year. And I really encourage people, if they haven't seen it, to go out and see it. Obama put it in on his best of list. If you don't take my word for it, you can come on. Barack Obama's word Look, for it. between the two of us, we can't both be wrong on this. <laughs> uh, and I think it it's just great it's just great all the way through did he have did um i haven't seen obama's list did he have uh any other ones that you that the two of you agreed to he had the irishman on there okay so he, which of course he would because <laughs> the irishman is great i know i i really liked it i liked um, it the, the thing that about the irishman just as an aside that really struck me were the cars. Being from, I grew up in Detroit, and uh, some of the movie takes place in Detroit or uh, right outside of Detroit in areas I'm very familiar with. And one of the things that always amazes me, I mean, they're companies, they're businesses that keep and preserve those cars just for films like this or, or ads yeah, or whatever. I, I imagine they would have to. And the cars, and people can go on Jalopnik, I, bl- I think it's Jalopnik, <clears throat> um, and see what or how the cars were so integral to the film um the different models and i won't give away i'll let people find out on their own but they're if if you're a car person you're it would be well worth your time to uh to to research that or to to look at that article about how the cars in uh in the irishman were so crucial to the plot or so crucial to the story i shouldn't say the plot but to the story in general well, Parker, thank you very much. I'm, I'm really looking forward to your uh, to your top ten of the decade, mainly because they. I want to see how they parallel your life. How you know because ten years is a long time. Yes, so we'll um, see. You half know. of the list was before I really started studying movies. Exactly. So uh, I'm very curious to see uh, to see what those, particularly those films, were before you started your your studies, and then. Um, if there's any huge difference afterwards, maybe not, maybe there's no, no, um, you know, no, no thunderous or no earth shaking. That's the word I'm searching for. No earth shaking, um, change from when you were in, in, uh, say high school going into college, but we'll see, we'll yeah. see from, uh, it, it was an interesting films. experiment. I, I will give it that. All right. Until next time, you have been listening to Linwood Lawton, and this is Second Acts. Second Acts is produced and recorded at the Macro Sound Studios in Union, New Jersey. You can find us on our website, and that's linwoodlawtonmedia.com. That's linwoodlawtonmedia.com. See you next time.